Hello and welcome to East Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Perfect Days, uh, directed by Vim Vendors, uh, from a script written by Vendors and Takuma Takasaki. Uh, this is another screening organised by Lee at The Mockingbird, mm. for which we're grateful. Um, I didn't know anything about... Well, I googled it just briefly, because I didn't know anything about it, just before we saw it, and saw that it was... It said it was based on four stories, and it's about a toilet cleaner in Japan. The four stories thing, I don't actually know really where that comes from. It doesn't play like that. I mean, no. that, that, Im- that implies that it's episodic, and it's not. But I guess you can see sort of four maybe story strands that, are, mm. that come together. Um I'd never seen a Vin Vendors film before. Really? And he's been working since the 70s. He's one of the key directors in New German cinema. You know, probably the best known are him, Herzog, Fassbinder. Um, but I've never seen one before, and I didn't really know what to expect of it. Um, you must you must be familiar with Vendors. I've, I've seen The Goalkeeper's Fear of the Penalty. I've seen The American Friend, uh, Paris, Texas, Wings of Desire, which was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. And which, in a weird way, it made me think of this, of this film, only in that Berlin occupies, you know, such an important role in that film, the way that, you know, Tokyo does in, in this, yeah. uh, without knowing anything about it. I mean, he's somebody who was really a crucial filmmaker, I would say, uh, not only in New German cinema of the 70s, but in the 80s, in this international art house wave, um, I met him. Okay. Uh, I met him at the Festival de Nouveau Cinema. He was really kind of uh, extremely tall <laughs> and very, um, very charming. You know, kind of, you know, one of those people that, that asks you questions about you, you know, while you're meant to be kind of talking to him. Mm-hmm. But I must say that over the last 20 years or more, I don't think I've seen any of his films. Uh, so, you know, this is a, a, a welcome surprise as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like I say, this, this, well, it's interesting how this film gets started, if you see on Wikipedia. Um, Vendors was invited to Tokyo shortly after pandemic precautions for COVID um, ended to observe the Tokyo Toilet Project in which Japanese uh, public toilets were redesigned across Shibuya by uh, creators invited from around the world. And it was envisioned, by the producers at least, that he would make kind of short films based on this, but a feature film came out of it. And we see some of these public toilets, particularly mm. the one that kind of um, really makes an impression is the one with the frosted glass, the electric mm. glass that turns on when you lock the door. But the film is about uh, this character, Hirayama, who's in his 50s, looks like. Um, he doesn't... Su- he looks to me like he's older than that, but... Okay, but uh, I'm going to say how old the actor is. <laughs> <laughs> he looks to me like to be in his early 60s or something. Uh, bloody hell, he's 68. Right. Wow. So. Um, well, he looks good for it either way, no matter whether it's his <laughs> 60s or 50s. Um, but yeah, he's, he's an ageing man, he's greying and stuff, and he lives alone and he looks after these plants in his um, small sort of house. Um, and he drives around cleaning these public toilets all day. He has a young assistant uh, who we see... Uh, is you know, much more talkative and he's trying to get off with this girl and so on. Um, but this guy just has his routine and we see his routine over a number of days. It's not it's not shot in a kind of... You know, some films really, really emphasise routine. Mm. And this one doesn't do that, but you get the sense of the routine very clearly. Yeah. Um, and um, 
it's a real kind of slice of life thing, right? Plot is not heavy. It, it, there's lots of plot, but it's not about that. It's about observation of character. What you said about Vendors just now, saying you met him and he was asking questions about me and I was supposed to be interviewing him, mm. is very much like you get the sense of this is an observer's eye on mm. this guy, you know? And um, I can't say I was like, it's not, it's not rip-roaring <laughs> entertainment, but it's very absorbing. And I love the, the, yeah, the, the eye on the man and the eye on the kind of society that he's in, that it, that it has. I, I loved it. Yeah, I kind of, I did have moments where I was looking at my watch just mm-hmm. because it's one of those films where I couldn't see where it was going, right? So, mm-hmm. and, you know, my response to kind of that is just to see, well, kind of, where are we? And I mean, I didn't know how long the film was either, but I figured you know, it'll probably be two, two, two and a half hours. So where are we now, right? Like, um, and so I think there were a couple of times where I looked at my watch just, you know, for that reason. Mm. But it wasn't because I was bored. Um, and I really loved the whole feel of the film. Yeah, I mean, it is just about a man making a very orderly life for himself um, taking pride in his work, yeah, he does it very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to do, he's absorbed by it. The young assistant says he's the only man he knows who, you know, has developed his own gadgets to do the job better, right? Yeah, he seems to have brought his own equipment and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, and I liked, I, I kind of identified with it in a way because, you know, when I was a kind of a younger man thinking what kind of a life, you know, w- did I want and would I make for myself. It actually kind of never occurred to me that, you know, I could have a job doing what I wanted. So I always mm. imagined myself as somebody who'd probably be doing a very working class job and pursuing my books and my movies and, you know, kind in of your free time in my free time. And and this is a little bit what this kind of shows, though it's a more organic life than I imagined for myself. I, you know, he does take pride in his job. He's, yeah. yeah. He's, he, he, he does it uh, with pride and with humour uh, and, and with it, respect. It seems to suit him as well. Yeah. You know, like, like, that orderliness that you talk about, you see something similar between... or it, It's almost kind of meditative, you know, the time he can spend cleaning the toilets and getting it right and so on. You get a feeling of that to an extent, I think. And then you see that in his home life as well. Mm. It's just the way he organises his life and goes through his routine, you know. I like the film, the way that the film lets you in which is often the way that pe- people kind of let you in to their lives, right? Which is not, you know, the major revelations that you often see in films, but kind of a little observation, a little anecdote, a perception of something that opens up a dimension into this person's life. And in this film, we get a few things, right? So. Um, when he visits the temple, yeah, on on his day off. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he's a man of a certain age. You can see that he's got a life that he likes, but that is also one that's full of sadness and regret. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the things that kind of reveal that are the visit to the temple, the revelation that he does have family, that um, there was an incident with his father. The sister says. He's not as violent as he used to be. He doesn't act the way he used to yeah. now that he's kind of losing his mind and you should go see him. And he, I mean, he doesn't say anything. He so rarely says things, but he, you see it in his face. No, I'm not going to do that. And yeah. I mean, that scene is what I thought, that was my favourite scene in the whole film because in in so few 
uh, interactions, so just a few seconds, you understand completely what has made this man the way he is in some ways. Mm. You know, just the idea that he, why he hasn't seen his family, mm. why he hasn't seen his sister, who you know, he, he clearly is capable of reconnecting with. He sees her and he's not upset to see her. And there's affection between there's them. There's affection, right? He hugs her and he means it. Um, but you also feel like the reason that I've been staying away from her is I have this whole family history that he, he, he shuts himself off from. You get mm. the feeling. It, it, it just kind of contextualises that so beautifully mm. and makes sense of this, this quiet, orderly man going about his business. Mm. I mean, it, I don't think it says, like, everything about him. I don't no. think it's... It's not like it says this is everything about who he is, but it enriches his character so much. Well, it's also the way that things are revealed by people to one. They never reveal everything, mm. you know, but kind of they just tell a story or an anecdote or you see them do something that reveals an area of their life that you hadn't noticed or perceived before. Yeah. And, you know, that helps you understand them better. Of course, you never understand anyone fully. And I, and I like that the film works in those ways. You know, mm -hmm. that kind of, you know, there are kind of these moments that just deepen our understanding of who this person is, where he's at now, uh, maybe even why, though not fully why, right? So you get the sense that this is a man of a much higher class who's come down in the world, yeah, who things mm -hmm. have happened to. He's clearly like an educated man. Uh, someone at the bar refers to him as an as an intellectual, and he laughs it off, mm -hmm. right? But you know, he's someone who finds meaning in life through um, his books, his music, and his gardening, and his photography, mm -hmm. and his job. Yeah, like kind of you know that anchors and it's a routine, and yeah, kind of it's like uh, there's something in the Wikipedia page about or an interview with vendors or something that I just glanced through before the podcast, where or it was the actor, an interview with the actor saying, well, God is everywhere, including in toilets, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, so I thought that was lovely. And then the visit with the temple and the moment at the end where he goes by the alcohol and the cigarettes are the moments where, which hint at a previous life of alcoholism, yeah, mm. or using alcohol as a crutch, or yeah, that kind of addiction and so on must have played a role in his past, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah it's a little thing, but yeah. you know, it kind could, of yeah. uh, it it hints at that. So, so I thought that was just beautiful, really. Yeah, it's a really beautiful scene between when he goes and buys that stuff and goes down the river um, and to me I, I i know exactly what you mean about it being a hint to this a light one but i mean i didn't take it that i took it that, because also he buys a pack of cigarettes and he clearly doesn't know how to smoke um so i took the whole thing as a kind of it's almost like it might be his first time ever trying to act out you know uh. that's kind of how it played to me but i could see why it would you know hint at um a past as well but then when when the the guy comes in who he's he's seen um, in this emotional embrace with the woman he likes, mm -hmm. essentially. And that's why he's down there. And, and he, he explains all this stuff about himself. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, from, from someone who doesn't open up at all to someone who's opening up immediately to essentially a stranger. Mm. It is a stranger. Um, the way in which he accepts it and he starts to make light out of it, because this guy's revealing some awful stuff about himself that, you know, he's this woman's ex-husband of seven years, 
Um, yeah, so it's not like he was getting off with the woman he likes, um, and that he has cancer, and that's why he's back there to to make some reconnection before he dies. To apologise, he says. So, yeah, he says to apologise. Oh no, that's not quite right. He says to thank her. No, that's not quite right either. He says, I just had to see her. Mm. Yeah, which is all it really needs to be, right? And mm. and you know you. you you get this again. You get this feeling of this guy, and I mean, you watch that scene going. I wonder how this will develop. I suppose it could have cut off at any point because you don't really know where these things will go. But the way in which it goes into this sort of play with the shadows, um, you go, where, where has this come from, and how inspired? It, like mm. I would never have imagined. And it's not like a crazy thing, but it's just it's this flight of fantasy mm. in the middle of you. Know, you you haven't had much of that in this film, right? You've had kind of a, a little bit of oddness and surprise here and there you have that moment where the young girl kisses him on the cheek for playing the the tape and it's a, a jump and a surprise and a laugh but it's not kind of crazy out of the ordinary and um but it's patterned yeah because you know it's full of moments like that that hint at, at connections at love at kindness right you know so the moment with the autistic boy who likes to touch the ears mm-hmm. The um, connection with the people at the bars, the moment where he rescues the boy, the young boy in the toilet, the mother comes all distraught and doesn't even thank him, but the boy... Wives. Yeah. There's the homeless person who's a bit baddie, who's always in the background, and who he always acknowledges and bows to, Mm. and they recognize each other. Right. So Mm. and I think all of that connects to uh, the phrase that he says, well, we all live in our own. No, the world has many worlds. Mm. We all live in our own. And sometimes they connect. Right. Mm. Though not always. So we also see moments of that, that, you know, these worlds are connecting. Right. So you can imagine that that homeless person is living in his own bubble. Mm. Yeah. But there are moments of connection with him. Right. Um, the same with the with the the young child who he he rescues in the toilet. The mother doesn't even acknowledge him, but the boy waves goodbye. So kind of those are different worlds, but there are moments where um, they choose to connect. Also, moments where they choose to disconnect, like with the sister. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, because she goes away in her chauffeur-driven car. Though, you know, he leaves the door open for the niece, mm-hmm. right? Um, but uh, you get the sense that, you know, for all the affection and love between the sister and brother, you know, they are committed to their different worlds, yeah? Mm. Yeah. Um, so I thought all of that was lovely. And I thought the pace of the film was lovely. The structure of it, right? Because as, as you said, initially, you get this daily sense of cleaning, yeah, but the patterning is loose, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, so it kind of moves in different directions and you're allowed to see kind of, um, you know, different things. I, I, at the beginning, I thought, oh, is this going to take place during a day or, you know, then during a week? Yeah, but the film kind of kept both repeating and opening up in interesting and slightly different directions, you know? Yeah, so like on his daily routine you get the sense of how it starts, how he goes through his work day and how he finishes his day. And we see him you know, going to uh, a bar, a restaurant where he's recognised and he's seen... The he baths. Has, he has the usual... Yeah, the baths. Um, we see, obviously, his routine at work. We see some of the toilets that he cleans multiple times. Um, and, of course, we see him in the morning, you know, waking up early, putting the things from his uh, 
from his shelf in his pockets in the same order, watering the plants and so on, and then reading a book before bed. And we see all these, we know the pattern of his day, but we don't see them all every day. Right. You know, we we dip in and out, and sometimes he maybe doesn't go to the past, and sometimes maybe he doesn't go to the restaurant, which is why we're not seeing those. But the film's not committed to showing us like every single detail, mm-hmm. right? But we 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 get the sense, and and it shows us kind of what what he needs to do. And it starts off in a more regimented way to give us that sense, and then it gets looser as it goes on. And, and later on, you know, kind of second half of the film, you see a lot less of him cleaning the toilets, for instance. You know, yeah. you see more of the rest of his life. The toilets is kind of. Um, really structures the start of the film. Yes. Um, and it's it's um, it's much less committed to to showing you that um, side of his life, his work life, later on. Mm. So you know, one of the phrases in the film is that everything changes, and you could see how you know this daily routine, this neatness, this orderliness is also a way of kind of um, ordering reality of getting. Yeah, having a grip on it. Yeah, of like not kind of going crazy in the world. <laughs> yeah, of having some control over how your day is, right? So that sense of routine is very important. The orderliness, the neatness, yeah, the way that things are done, which is always the same, right? Um, I kind of, you know, that builds a kind of a foundation, you know, for what is clearly kind of. Um, a man in the process of change, yeah, kind of. So when you say that at the beginning we have this routine and then at the end it's less important, it's because also things are changing. Yeah, he's yeah. he's meeting people, he's developing relationships, he feels a kind of longing that must be new, or if not new, something that hadn't happened for a long time. Yeah, with mm. with the woman, he reestablishes a connection with his niece. Those are all clearly important things, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so and also just the the. The disruptions to the routine and the new things are the more more interesting things to show. It's where the yes. film's attention is because yes. it's so interesting. And um, but yeah, it is about the as you say disruption and the newness of of what he's going through. And of course, there's also every night. Well, not every night because you know the routine is not the film is not showing us everything. But um, but every night he dreams and we we yes. see right. And the, these films um, these dreams are in black and white. And, you know, what you're saying about kind of the ordering and the neatness and stuff is not there in the dreams, right? Mm. The, the the images are um, translucent. Um, they appear over the top of one another. There's imagery of nature that we see him shooting. So we, 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 see, him, we see him photographing um, uh, nature, in particular these shots that he likes taking, pointing up at the canopy of trees over this park where he, where he eats lunch. Um, and when he gets these back, you know, these, we see these black and white photographs and he throws the ones away that don't work and he keeps the ones that he likes. And then we see these, this kind of imagery is what's coming out in his dreams. Um, the, um, the dreams were shot, I understand, by um, Donata Vendors, Vim's mm. wife, mm. Uh, who's a photographer. And you, you get this, you know, you get this. <laughs> it's really interesting because it's not like the dreams, you know, like dreams. It's not like that thing of dreams kind of encoding messages and that sort of thing, but it's 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 like the day kind of it's like it plays back to him mm. in some way, and what's been important in that day comes out in these dreams, you know. So you get images of his niece, for instance, and because she's just jumped back into his life out of nowhere, and that sort of thing, um, and they're they're kind of beautiful way to sort of because the, the the film doesn't show, as you were saying, it doesn't show like a week or whatever, but. Um, it does take us from one day into another using mm. these dreams. You know, it mm. kind of bookends things in that way. And that connects with 
the photos that he takes every day of the sun streaming through the tree branches, right, which create a kind of shadow. Then there's the shadowy dreams. And then there's that whole conversation at the end where they ask, you know, are shadows darker when they overlap? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, which again, you know, is a conversation in itself and it's playful, but it's also metaphoric, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which so so all of those things are kind of woven through, kind of rather systemically in the narrative in a way that kind of, you know, enriches it as it goes along. I thought it was you yeah. know, very beautiful. It's interesting what you say about things changing because obviously we do see things change through the film, but that conversation about the shadows, which feels so much like a kind of culmination of themes mm. the way they're having that conversation to, in, a, in a metaphorical way um they try it right so that's the thing like i kind of thought you know uh, the, the question the guy has of when shadows overlap do they get darker it'll be like the the scene will end on that interesting intriguing question mm. um and he goes fuck it let's try right mm. so they go and play and what they find is that they don't mm. um and it doesn't make sense that they don't to them, mm. you know. So, and that's what they express to each other. He, and he says, like, nothing's changing. It doesn't make sense that nothing's changing, mm. which is really interesting. Mm. Because, like, how much... That kind of, you know, apply that to the whole film. Like, how much do you see change? Well, it's kind of... It's small, it's incremental. But, you know, I don't know. Like, how, how much is, is different from the end to the start? I don't know. But then, clearly, the events of the film have had a massive effect, even you know, kind of subtly. On, on the guy because of that final shot where he's in the car driving, mm. listening to um, Feeling Good by Nina Simone. And it's a, you know, a long take. It's mm. all close upon him of, of halfway between crying his eyes out mm. and beaming with happiness. Mm. Kind of amazing way to end the film. Mm. That like, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's unclear or it's up to interpretation, you know, the, the effect of everything that's happened on him. But, um, but like, the fact that it's had such a profound effect is 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 what we're getting there at the end. We we've seen nothing like that from him before in the film. Mm-hmm. Even when he saw his sister, and you know this kind of past, you get the fingers come come back. I mean, you, I suppose to some extent you've got that with the niece, but then seeing the sister is a whole thing in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you haven't seen a great outpouring of emotion. Mm-hmm. He's bowed his head, and you feel the sense of reflection in him, and then he hugs her, and you feel how important that hug is. This is someone to whom a small gesture becomes very big. Yes. Um, but then, you know, on his own in the car at the end, he's just in floods. Mm. And um, it's it's really a remarkable way to end, actually. I loved it. Mm. What do you make of the use of music? Um, well, it's, uh, the, the music's fantastic, right? It's been it's been well-chosen and well-sourced, and there are loads of really good hits there, and it's lovely to hear them, so mm. there's that. Um the, I thought the most interesting thing about the music, in some sense, was that it, it was the idea of cassettes because it's played on cassettes. But that's that's separate to the songs in themselves. I suppose I didn't make anything in particular of the songs that were chosen, um, or or how they were used. No, no, um, I did. I mean, I thought you know, I thought they were beautiful choices of a particular period. Right, I would say it's all seventies music. Mm-hmm. Could be wrong. Seventies, yeah. eighties, and I think they mentioned that because that's where his cassettes come from, and they're talking about selling them. Yeah, though you know all the ones I recognize, like Van Morrison's "Brown Eyed Girl." I mean, I would say I don't know, late sixties. Sixties as well. Yeah, yeah Nina Simone. Uh, yeah, you know, so it's Patti Smith. Right, they're all like kind of seventies, and they're all songs of a particular kind. They're kind of like singer 
singer songs or yeah, kind of um, <laughs> rather than say like band songs. Yeah, so you get Lou Reed, you know, kind of. Uh, yeah, that's um, interesting. And you know, they're they're songs of feeling. Yeah, and which the singing itself expresses feeling. I mean, I think, you know, part of the Brown Eyed Girl song is just the tone of Van Morrison's voice is as you know, significant to the song as like, mm, you know, mm. kind of the music or the lyrics really. Uh, likewise, you know, I think with Nina Simone or indeed with Lou Reed, right, it's kind of, you know, I mean, in the Lou Reed song, obviously the, the lyric and, you know, the, the pace of the music is important, but there is something about the tone of his voice and the intonation and the phrasing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought it was very beautifully chosen, very expressive, also a way of indicating a layer of feeling. I mean, here's this man who's been attached not only to the cassettes, but these particular songs for like 40 years or 50 years, right? Mm. Like, and that he keeps playing and that he won't sell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so kind of that, that are somehow like cornerstones of his life as well that express something about him. And I thought that was interesting in a weird way in relation to the toilets, which are, you know, really modern, really clean, really beautiful. Uh, He's the reason they're clean. Well, I know what you mean. <laughs> no, I, I, well, again, I don't, I'm not very familiar, but I do think that, uh, I mean, someone was saying that if the same film would have been made in London, it would have been a horror film. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are kind of different levels of acceptable hygiene in public toilets, ostensibly, mm. in Japan than here. But what I meant is that, um, you know, kind of these are all, or they seem to be, yeah, and from what you were saying at the beginning, that they were part of an art installation project, but they're all kind of architects, mm -hmm. uh, new so they're meant to like stand out and be admired, right? Mm. Um, architecturally and hygienically and kind of aesthetically, right? But there is still something kind of functional and antiseptic about them that, you know, the songs are the opposite of functional. And yeah, I mean, you need a cassette player, he, only he has one, yeah? Kind of all the people he runs into that love his music ask is it on spotify <laughs> yeah his niece wants to know if it's on spotify and then he, and she and the other young girl the girl who kisses him don't know how to put a tape in the car exactly um, right yeah. so 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 i think there's that contrast as well between the old you know and the modern yeah absolutely yeah. i mean that's a huge and his camera is a 20 25 year old type camera uses film um his his car has to be that old because he's got a tape player in it so yeah we've got cassette technology reasonably old camera technology old phone technology has a flip phone um, which have not been around since the iphone basically mm. um and then the film itself is shot in full frame mm. which is essentially antiquated it's not the normal way in which most films are made these days it's not widescreen mm. which i think i mean it's it's a small kind of um connection but i think that is a connection mm. um, i mean i don't know from vendors other work i don't know how often he shoots this way mm. um but it seems to connect uh, in the mildest way with with that kind of, um, with the appeal of old technologies. Um, just want to look up. <laughs> I wanted to check whether it was he or Herzog who made Pina, the um, the Pina Bausch documentary, but it's not listed here as his filmography. So his filmography does include documentaries later on, I think. 
Ah, well, let me look at that. Peanut, yeah, 2011. Yeah. In, in 3D. Because that was interesting. That was very beautiful. You know, and that was kind of, you know, so one of the things about Vendors is that he's also kind of avant-garde. Yeah, like, mm. you know, he is someone who's interested in the arts in general. And the film of Pina is very, very beautiful. You know, it is kind of about Pina Bausch and about kind of her choreographic work and, you know, the the idea of showing it in three dimensions is that you could show movement in three dimensions. And that I loved very much. And also it felt very, very tender towards her. Um, yeah, I think I read that he said that around this time he would only shoot in 3D from now on. He was like taken by it and obviously that's not happened. And no. 3, 3D... Um, despite the renaissance um, brought on by Avatar and new technology has since fallen away and we don't mm. see it very much now. Um, but he was he was one director who seemed to be head over heels with it. Like, I get this, I love it, I have to work in it from mm. now on. And I think he said, as you were saying, it's, it's to do with the way you can show movement. I think, I think he was going to show, I think he was supposed to shoot the ring cycle and he would only do that if it could be in 3D and that it oh. fell apart because of that. Actually, it's so interesting because... Now, looking at his documentaries, I, you know, because I was saying that I had seen so many of his films up to the 90s and then, you know, kind of I, I, I didn't see very much until now. But now I realize that actually I had seen all these documentaries. Lightning Over Water is his documentary on Nicholas Ray, Tokyo Ga, uh, uh, the Buena Vista Social Club, which I imagine even you have seen that. I haven't seen it, though I know of it. Okay. Uh, and Pina, so so you know those are all films, like from nineteen eighty to to the present, really. So Pina is uh, is a decade ago now. Uh, so actually, I've seen more. If I if I include his <laughs> documentary work, I've seen more yeah. than 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 I thought. I mean, he's um, unbelievably prolific. This is his twenty third feature narrative film as director. Twenty fourth, if you include one that he did some work in, and then he's got his shorts and docs and TV on top of that. It's not prolific if you compare it to uh, uh, Fassbinder, who did... Everything's a competition with you, Jose. It's not, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just uh, kind of you know. developing that point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, I mean, didn't, didn't Fassbinder do... Let's see. Uh, he did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten... He did 11 films in one year. That, well, that's too many. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them were really great, you know. Uh, so, um, anyway, when I think prolific, I think Fassbinder. <laughs> right, you know, okay. I think, so, you know, 20 films geez. in like 60 years is not that many. <laughs> it's, like saying, it's like saying Agatha Christie's not prolific. She didn't write as many as Barbara Cartland. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. That's not the same, you know. No, but a uh, film every couple of years plus all the other work that you're doing, that's... Prolific is a reasonable word for that, I think. Okay, well... We, we... Just not as prolific as 11 in one year. <laughs> Who does that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. So anyway, kind of... I love this film. I liked it. You know, more than I kind of thought I did at the time as well. I was, like you, um, you know, kind of checking the watch, or I would have done had I had one. Mm. Um, and it was, at points, due to a little bit of boredom and going, okay, where is it going next? Mm. Um but, you know, you kind of stuck it. I mean, also, we looked up beforehand and I did see that it was two hours long and it felt longer, I thought. Um, yeah, well, I, 
I went to look, but I couldn't find it. So I, you know, I, I, was, I looked on the same page you did, and then just looked at a bit you've of the got page better, you didn't. You've got a better eye. 123 uh, minutes. Um, um, uh, I missed yeah. that. So, um, and then they told us like you know the the film started, so I just let let go of it. Mm. So actually, I didn't know how long the film was. Uh, and and but I don't see that as a problem. I mean, you know, the wonderful thing about seeing films in the theater is I'm quite content to just let it wash over you, right? Like. I do again, you know, and, and maybe it's a personal problem with watching things on television, how I personally watch things on television. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure had I been watching it at home, I would have put it on pause, I would have made coffee, I would, would have gone to the loo, the, you know, the two-hour film would have taken me six hours to watch, hmm. and I would have lost a lot uh, in doing that. But, you know, if I'm in the theater, and, you know, there's a little bit of a, a stretch where I don't know where it's going, and that seems a bit boring you know, kind of, I just let it wash over me and kind of, I'll have a view by the end. But actually, that in itself doesn't transform the view at the moment. Yeah. No, sure. I'm not complaining that it's two hours long, or I'm not even complaining that much that it felt as long as it did. Although I I do think that it's part, that's the experience, right? You only talk about your experience. Sure. And I thought at points, oh, this is a bit slow. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, kind of, uh, Argyle didn't feel slow at all, and it was still crap. <laughs> you, no, you, you thought it was long as hell. I loved Argyle. We're not going to bring back Argyle. Anyway, <laughs> I'll defend that film to the day I die. <laughs> all right. Um, I, I think it's a very beautiful film. It's a film also that, you know, when you think, it's a film that makes you feel and it makes you think. And what more could you ask for? Yeah. And I do. I want to um, just briefly mention the um, star of the film, mm. who you know we mentioned his age and we mentioned a couple of his moments, but we haven't mentioned him. Koji Yakusho is mm. his name, who I didn't know. Um, he's like a figure in Japanese. Uh, yeah, cinema. he is. I mean, I was just, I was just like, like, what do I mention from his Wikipedia page? That, but he's got a lot of films mm. in there, and you know he's got enough to have a Wikipedia page on English Wikipedia, which is one thing for a Japanese mm. actor. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's he's marvelous. He also won um, at uh, he won best actor at Cannes Film Festival for this film. For this film, um, and um, and you can certainly see why. Mm. Um, so he's wonderful and, and worth it just for him. I mean, it's it's in those moments. You know, so much of the film is, um, so much of his performance in the film is is very simple. He's not doing very much. The character's not doing very much. But it's in these moments where he reacts or something happens and something occurs to 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 bring a reaction from him. So that's where he kind of shines. It's all in the eyes. It's like so much of great movie acting, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's all in the eyes. It's just little, you know, minimal gestures and, you know, what the eyes convey. Because he doesn't say much, you know, he doesn't have many words. So it's all in his look, really. Yeah. And his presence. He has a presence yeah. that yeah. you can't quite quantify, but he mm. has it. Mm. And, you, and you, you want to look at him on screen. Mm. Um, so he's wonderful. Um, yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we highly recommend. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies and Blue Sky, eavesdropping.bsky.social. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs>